Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. The text for the sermon today is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, the verses 21 through 23. Hear the word of God. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, sometimes when we finish doing something we enjoy, we say all good things must come to an end. And that's very true, isn't it? As enjoyable as certain things may be, whether that's a vacation or a visit with a loved one, an enjoyable book, a relaxing evening at home, all of these things must eventually come to an end. Sooner or later, we have to move on to other things. Well, that's also true for this series on Philippians. We started this series back in December 27, 2021. And now, 40 sermons later, we must bring this series to a close. Now, several themes have emerged from this series. We've been given a glimpse into Paul's heart as he speaks about his experiences in prison and how this was affecting him and how much he loved and appreciated the congregation of Philippi. We've been reminded of the prominent place that joy should have in the life and experience of the believer. We've been instructed in various aspects relating to the Christian life, such as our calling to be lights in the world, or pressing on in the Christian life, and standing fast, the need for unity, rejoicing, not being anxious, contentment, generosity, and the duty and privilege of supporting ministers and missionaries of the gospel. We've been confronted with the example of Christ as a model of humility, that just as Christ, who was God, left the glories and riches of heaven to become a servant and even to subject himself to the death of the cross so that believers should humble themselves before one another. And we've been reminded of the fact that we are justified by grace through faith alone, apart from works or anything in man, and that those in whom the Lord has begun a good work, he will surely finish. Yes, we have learned very, very much. And now we come to the last three verses of this epistle, verses 21 to 23. And in these verses, the Apostle Paul bids the Philippians farewell. And it's to these verses that we turn our attention today. Our theme is Paul's farewell. We'll consider, first of all, the greeting he extends, and secondly, the benediction he bestows. The Apostle Paul ends his epistle in the same way as he began, with a greeting to the saints in Christ Jesus. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addresses his letter to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. And now as he brings his letter to a close, he asks that greetings be conveyed to every saint in Christ Jesus. Now you notice both times Paul addresses the Philippians as saints in Christ Jesus. 
Now, who or what are saints? In Roman Catholic theology, a saint is someone who has died and gone to heaven and who has displayed extraordinary devotion to God while on earth. And because of this, they have been elevated to an exalted position before God. They have, in a manner of speaking, they have the ear of God. And that's why Roman Catholics honor or venerate and pray to the saints. They do this because they believe that the saints can intercede for them before God. They can even secure the early release of their loved ones from purgatory. But dear friends, none of this has any basis at all in Scripture. Nor is this how a Bible, how the Bible rather, defines a saint. According to the Bible, a saint is an ordinary believer, like you and like me. Yes, even very weak Christians are called saints. The Corinthians are a good example of this. If there was one church that was messed up, it was the church at Corinth. There were so many problems. They had a party spirit. Their worship services were disorderly. People were drunk at the Lord's Supper. One man was living in an incestuous relationship with his mother, probably his stepmother. And rather than put him under discipline, the congregation actually boasted about it. And yet, despite these problems, and despite these weaknesses and shortcomings, Paul calls them saints. And he does here as well. Paul addresses the Philippians as saints. Why? Why not fellow believers or beloved Christians? Well, probably because of the meaning of the word saints. The Greek word for saint is derived from a word meaning holy or set apart. And that's exactly what a saint is. A saint is holy in the sense that he has been set apart by God from sin and the world to praise and to glorify him. He's not holy in the sense that he's without sin because none of us is without sin. But he's holy in the sense that he's been set apart. He's called a saint because he has within him a principle of holiness, wrought in his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, by which he is enabled to put sin to death and live to the glory of God according to the commandments of God. So if you're a believer today, you are a saint. But to notice, Paul adds a qualifier. He says the Philippians are saints in Christ Jesus. Now that stands to reason, doesn't it? Because the believer cannot be separated from Christ. The believer and Christ are united together by faith. In fact, it is only because they are united to Christ that believers are called saints and that they can be holy. The Apostle Paul knows this, and so he addresses them as saints in Christ Jesus. Well, as saints, Paul asks that greetings be conveyed to them. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The form of the verb here is in the imperative mood. That means it's a command. But it probably has the force of a polite request. It's like Paul is saying, please greet or be so kind as to greet. It's also in the plural number, meaning it's addressed to more than one person. Now, that has led some to speculate that Paul here is addressing the bishops and the deacons, as he did back in chapter 1, 
verse 1. And there's something to be said for that. Paul could have asked the Philippians to greet one another, as he does in some other of his epistles, but he doesn't do that here. Instead, he asked the leaders of the church, the bishops and the deacons, to greet the members of the congregation on his behalf. Now, to greet someone in the sense that Paul means it here is more than simply to extend to them a warm, friendly hello. That's what we often do. When I greet somebody, I just say hello. I say hi and ask how you're doing. But when Paul greeted people, he wasn't simply saying hello. He wasn't just inquiring after their health. He was affirming his love for them in the Lord. He was assuring them that he regarded them as his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he missed them. And he longed to be with them. And he hoped and prayed for their spiritual well-being. And that's the case here as well. Paul wanted the leaders of the church at Philippi to convey to the members of the church his deep and abiding love and concern for their spiritual well-being. Following this, Paul goes on to convey greetings on behalf of his brethren. He writes, The brethren who are with me greet you. Well, who were the brethren who were with the Apostle Paul in Rome? Well, it's not clear. Certainly Timothy was there. But other possibilities include Epaphroditus and possibly even Luke as well. As other preachers in Rome, whom Paul references in chapter 1, verses 14 to 17. Evidently, these brethren were aware that Paul was sending a letter to the Philippians. And so as he was finishing his letter, you can imagine them saying to him, Paul, would you also put in a good word on our behalf? Convey our greetings also to the brethren who are there in Philippi. And so Paul did. Finally, Paul conveyed the greetings on behalf of all the saints. He says, verse 22, all the saints greet you. The reference here is probably to the believers in Rome. They too wanted to convey their greetings to the Philippians, even though most would not have been personally acquainted with any of them. But among the saints in Rome, Paul makes special mention of those who are of Caesar's household. Now these are not the blood relatives of Caesar, who was Nero at the time. These were members of the civil service, stationed in Rome, government officials, both slaves and freedmen. It could also have included members of the Praetorian Guard, whom Paul mentions in chapter 1, verse 13. Now why did especially these members of Caesar's household send their greetings? Well, there are several possibilities. First of all, remember that Philippi was a military colony. So it's possible that some of the household of Caesar were familiar with some of the members of the church at Philippi. Secondly, these members of Caesar's household may have been earlier converts to Christianity. They had become believers even before Paul had arrived in Rome. And so there had been more time for them to establish contact with believers elsewhere, particularly also in Philippi, especially in light of their positions in the government. Thirdly, it's a well-known fact that a considerable percentage of those who belonged to Caesar's household in Rome had come from regions east of Rome, where Philippi was located. 
And so those, or at least some of those who were sending these special greetings, may very well have come from Macedonia. And therefore, they wish to be remembered to their friends and relatives. But in the end, we simply don't know. All we know is that these members of Caesar's household asked the Apostle Paul to convey greetings to the Philippians. Now we can learn at least three things from this. First of all, we learn that Christians ought to greet one another and be friendly towards one another. Three times in these verses, the Apostle Paul uses the word greet. First, he commands the leaders of the church to greet the saints in Philippi on his behalf. Then he conveys greetings on behalf of the brethren, all the saints, and finally, the members of Caesar's household. The idea is that Christians are people who greet one another because they love one another, and they're concerned about one another, and they want the best for one another. Well, is that true for you today? It's a very sad thing when believers come into church or when they see each other at the grocery store and they hardly acknowledge each other. Or they hurry past them or even hide so that they don't have to talk to them. That should not be. Believers should delight in seeing one another and should greet each other in the Lord. Not just with a nod or a smile, but with a good, firm handshake, a hug, and a kind and a friendly word. And not just believers we know, but also believers we don't know. For example, guests and visitors who come to our church. Commenting on this, Charles Spurgeon writes, The religion of Christ is full of courtesy, and it is full of generous thoughtfulness. Hearty salutations or greetings ought to be common in every Christian assembly. I always deprecate or despise that wonderful respectability that exists in some places of worship where nobody knows anybody else, for they are too respectable to become acquainted with their brothers. I do not think that he can be a Christian who has no knowledge nor care about his fellow church members. If you are in Christ Jesus, get to know one another. Secondly, we learn here that there is a bond of love between believers that transcends culture and distance. Consider our text. As we've seen, Paul here conveys greetings to the Philippians on behalf of people they didn't even know and who lived hundreds of miles away. Nor did the Philippians know them. But Paul conveyed greetings to them just like they were old friends. Well, how do we explain this? Well, I said it already. There is a bond of love between believers that transcends culture and distance. And that bond is rooted in Jesus Christ. Because Christ loves us, we in turn love his people. No matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what language you speak, or what your ethnic background is, or what church you attend, if you are a believer in Christ, you are a brother and a sister. As the hymn writer put it, 
In Christ there is no east or west, in Him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Oh, isn't that a wonderful thought? Do you also see what a great privilege that is? Is this not also a powerful reason to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're part of one worldwide family of God. Thirdly, we learn here that the gospel can penetrate into even the most unlikely places. Now, as we've seen, Paul conveys greetings on behalf of Caesar's household. These were people who worked for Caesar. Some perhaps had very important administrative positions. Others performed more menial jobs, but they all worked for Caesar. They all lived in very close proximity to the most powerful man on earth. They were at the very nerve center of the Roman Empire, the seat of Roman power and influence, as well as a great den of iniquity and intrigue. It's amazing to think that the gospel of Christ penetrated even here. Again, Spurgeon writes, Only think of saints in the household of Nero, saints in the service of such a demon as he was, and saints who were first in every good thing, exposed to the greatest perils, and yet brave to confess Christ. There were saints even here, and God still has some of his jewels lying on dunghills. Yes, still today, God has his people in the most unlikely places, including places of power and influence. And how thankful we should be for this. And how amazed we should be at the power of the gospel that it is able to penetrate even into places where there is great darkness and great opposition. And my friends, that includes our own hearts, doesn't it? By nature, our hearts, humanly speaking, are as impenetrable as Caesar's household. And it's only by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit that the gospel can break through. Is that true for you? Has the gospel penetrated your heart? Has it broken through? Oh, do not think that your heart is too hard. If the gospel can penetrate into Caesar's household, it can penetrate into your heart also. And so if you're not saved today, I urge you as I bring this series of sermons to a close, go to the Lord and ask Him to save you. And ask Him to apply His word to your heart, even now, so that you might stand before Him and live. In his final farewell, therefore, Paul conveyed heartfelt greetings. But he also bestowed a divine benediction, and that leads us to our second point. Paul ends his letter with a divine benediction. Verse 23, he writes, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Now, the key word here is the word grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. This is what God bestows on those who repent of their sins and believe on his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He bestows on them his grace, his unmerited, his undeserved favor. Now, why is it undeserved? Why is it unmerited? Well, it's because we have sinned. 
And as a result of our sin, we deserve nothing from God. We deserve only His wrath and His condemnation. But when we repent of our sins, and when we come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior and King, then God deals with us in grace. And that means He he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, He bestows on us the blessings of His salvation, the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And how necessary that is. We cannot do without grace. We need grace. We need grace to repent. We need grace to believe. We need grace to live the Christian life. We need grace for everything. Paul knows this, and therefore as he brings his letter to a close, he prays that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ may be with them, that it may rest upon them and be applied to them by the Holy Spirit, and that they might live out of that grace day by day, to his glory. But why is the grace the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's because it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ that we can know and experience and live out of God's grace. You see, we're completely dependent on Christ for everything, including his grace. Paul knows that too. And that's why he says that this grace is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, in closing his letter with a prayer for grace, Paul is touching on one of the overarching themes of this and all of his epistles, and that is simply the word grace. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves believers from their sinful rebellion. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that initiated and sustains believers in the fellowship of the gospel. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables believers to rejoice in the advance of the gospel, even when the motives of those advancing it are not always pure. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables believers to believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables believers to live out their status as citizens of God's kingdom in a manner worthy of the gospel, even in the face of opposition. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that unites and empowers believers to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross so that they might experience God's peace. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that empowers us to work out our salvation since God is at work in us for his good pleasure. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that has freed us from seeking status before God on the basis of our pedigree or performance and instead to embrace the perfect righteousness that comes from God and becomes ours through Christ. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to count all things as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus and His resurrection power at work in our lives even in the midst of suffering. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that calls us to pursue unity in the body for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to rejoice rather than worry and grants us access to the throne room of God so that we may let our requests be made known unto him. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that grants us the peace that guards our hearts and minds. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that enables us to give generously to the advancement of the gospel to the point where it hurts and as a result receive a heavenly harvest. 
It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that unites believers together across many miles in many different locations in the worship of the one true God regardless of our status and station in life. It is all of grace. 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 Amazing grace. And nothing but grace. Oh, my friend, have you tasted of this grace? Are you living by and out of this grace every day again? Without grace, we are lost. But in Christ, there is an abundance of grace for every single man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. Paul ends this final farewell with the word, Amen. The word, Amen, means it shall truly and certainly be. It underscores the truthfulness, the certainty of everything that Paul has said and everything that Paul has written in this letter. That applies in the first place to Paul's benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will truly and certainly be with us all. And that's because God has promised never to leave us or to forsake us. and Therefore, he will never withdraw his grace from his people. But this word also applies to the entire epistle, doesn't it? Everything that Paul has written is true and certain. Why? Because everything that he wrote is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And because of this, every promise may be claimed. Every command must be obeyed. Every teaching must be learned. Every warning must be heeded. Every comfort must be appropriated. Will you do that? We've traveled a long way in this series. We've beheld... Many wonderful scenes. What impact has this series of sermons had on your heart? Has it drawn you closer to the Lord? Has it caused you to appreciate even more all the treasures that are to be found in Christ Jesus? Or do you say, it's about time he's finished with that series. I was getting Philippianed out. Well, my friends, my hope and prayer is that these sermons may not return to the Lord void, nor harden your heart in unbelief, but that they may have brought you to faith or strengthened you in your faith to the glory of God. But for this too, we need God's grace. And therefore I end this series with the same words that Paul ended his letter so many thousands of years ago. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. That's banneroftruth at frcna.org. If you would like to listen to the message you have just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website, at www.banneroftruthradio.com. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. 
If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, British Columbia, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Banneroftruthradio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. Therefore, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for worshiping, being actively involved in a local Bible-believing church. And now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.